everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Protein's Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And this is our 25th episode. Pretty sure that this episode is going to come out on time. Don't hold your breath. Kinda, sorta. As of this recording, we are scheduled to get this out on time, but that editing process takes forever. Yeah, I mean, it's the 11th right now, so I guess we'll see when it drops. So what have you been up to, Giacomo? Yesterday, I signed up uh, finally for my first meet ever, something I have been wanting to do and have been working towards for, I want to say, almost a year. Powerlifting meet, you mean? Yes. So it's real now. It's about 10 weeks away. Mm, I want to say for the past three or so months, I've pretty much dedicated my training towards powerlifting, not neglecting my accessory work and still keeping bodybuilding as my primary focus. However, right now, I just want to get as strong as possible. That's that's also a big focus of mine. Yeah, he has been working really hard at powerlifting specifically, which is a huge shift from what he was doing before. So it's been kind of neat to watch, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him compete. Jury's still out on whether or not I'm going to do this powerlifting meet, but by the time I decide, it's probably going to be sold out anyway. Whatever. We could always do another one together, and I'm sure you'll be in my corner either which way. Uh, tomorrow's a mock meet for me, so I'm going to go through meet day as if it was happening, and that should be eye-opening for me and help me get into the mental game and get used to it. So anyway, that's pretty much what I've been working with. And also, this is pretty exciting. For the past, I want to say three, maybe even four days, I've been meditating daily. Not something that I wanted to do or was even necessarily interested in. Danny's been doing it for, I want to say, nine months, which is about how long it takes of her insisting that I do something to actually do it. (laughs) Real talk. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, yeah. And I mean, I guess I did it for her initially, but even after only four days, but even after only four days, I've noticed quite a difference, not knowing what to expect, but just going through the motions. It's basically, I feel like I've been creating this personal headspace that is just quiet because I'm taking 20 minutes out of my day to, I, okay, call it meditating. Cause that's what I'm doing. Basically, because I've I'm taking 20 minutes a day to myself to do nothing. And then during the day when it gets really stressful, as it often tends to, I revisit this quiet space and I'm able to get through the day and stressful situations without being as worked up about them and being more focused. So I'm going to continue doing this. I'm pretty thankful for it, actually. Yeah, I love it. I actually got into meditating in June, um, my my grandmother, whom I was very, very, very close to, passed away in June, and I was having a really hard time dealing with it. And I reached out to my friend, Paul Salamone, who's also a teammate on Plant Built, and he's one of my clients, and I knew that he was really big into meditating. And I asked him, like, hey, I think maybe this could help me. Like, do you have any tips? And he pointed me in the right direction, and he, you know, he really helped me through the first couple weeks of it. And I've done it almost every single day since. I have missed a few days here and there, but I've done it almost every day since. And it is life-changing. There's no other way to put it. It's life-changing. It's, you know, I'm not like a hippie 
hokey, earthy, crunchy, out there, whatever. Uh, just like even just scientifically speaking, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of data to back up meditation and how beneficial it can be for all sorts of things. But personally, I found it to be absolutely awesome. I've recommended it to like a bajillion clients. So, yeah, if you haven't tried it before, give it a shot. I did not go into this with an open mind. The only thing I went into this with was this will shut Danny up. Okay, if you want to say, maybe, maybe. I went into it with the intention of I'm going to do this because it's something that she wanted to do together, but it's probably not going to do anything. But even, I want to say, even after the first session and definitely by the second session, I was like, hmm, I can, I can I just felt something changing for the better internally. And I was like, this, this might be a good thing. What about you? What have you been up to? I've been, you know, my training's been going pretty well, uh, getting stronger, My nutrition is back where I want it to be. You know, everything's back on track, still adding calories. Slowly, I'm back up to like 2250 calories a day, which I'm, and I'm maintaining my weight, but I'm still getting stronger. So that's really cool. When I say I'm maintaining my weight, let me be clear. (laughs) I am not maintaining my stage weight. I am maintaining like my off season weight, which is some, it hovers around 140. So 140 to 145, somewhere in there. That's what I'm maintaining now. Um, and hopefully, you know, that number of calories is just going to keep going up and up and up because that's my favorite. But (laughs) outside of that, I have just been working, 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 working. And by working, I mean working with my clients and my coaching site. That's what I've been doing. That's all that's been on my brain for the past month, month and a half or so. I mean, it always takes up a large part of my brain, but that is like 90% of my brain lately. Giacomo has been working sort of under me, sort of shadowing me for the last month or so. And that's been really, really neat because coaching can be, coaching the way that I do it online, it's kind of like a lonely profession. (laughs) I suppose there's, you know, you can't go like get a drink with your coworkers later and chat about the day. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. And it's kind of a unique enough job. So when you talk to people about it, they don't understand what the hell you're talking about. I can't even tell you the number of times I've had to answer like, wait, but how do you like coach people if you're like not there with them? How does that work? Mm. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, kind of nobody really understands what it is that I do. So having Giacomo shadow me has been neat because now someone kind of does. Exactly. I've been enjoying this. I've been wanting to do this with you for a while. I just haven't been ready for it. And it's been pretty rewarding, I think, for the both of us to be able to help as many people as we can one-on-one. With that comes a lot of work. You know what, though? I want to say, and it's hard for me to say because Danny's been the one doing this all the while on her own, but I feel like a large element of coaching is knowing your client and not just prescribing them nutrition and training and just saying, follow this. And being able to be a people person requires thought. And I think sometimes thinking to yourself can be challenging and it helps to bounce ideas back and forth. Yeah, it can be. I don't think you necessarily have to be a people person to be a coach because I wouldn't call myself a people person. Just understand people. But I'm a really good people reader. <laughs> I read people really well. I can empathize with people a lot. And I think that's really, really important as a coach because... You know, you got this geek side of your brain, right? That's, you know, what got me into this in the first place is the geek side of my brain, which wants to look at a a body. You know, I want to look at a body and I want to manipulate it the way the person wants and get them that result. 
that is the geek side of my brain. That's what I, I live to see those results, whether it's, you know, a physical change or hitting a PR in the gym, whatever the goal is, I want to make it happen. You can't just look at a client like a body. They're not just a science experiment, like they're an actual human being. And I think that that's very, very important to be able to also understand and to be able to join those two things together where you can make the results happen, but also, you know, respect someone's autonomy as a human being and understand that it is not a perfect science by any stretch because life happens and you got to be able to help people through that sometimes. Or better yet to get them to understand and to embrace their body's process and to not force things that shouldn't be, you know? So something else that I'm seeing while I'm observing your coaching style is basically that the best type of plan that you write for somebody is going to be the one that they follow. doesn't matter how perfect the nutrition is for their physiological needs. doesn't matter how perfect the, the training is. Yeah, totally. You know, I think that is like the biggest takeaway point that there is. Because you can draw out the most scientifically perfect nutrition plan and training plan for somebody on paper, but if it's not something that they can adhere to, it is absolutely worthless. So while some people are able to comply with, you know, the perfect, and I say that with quotes, the perfect nutrition plan and the perfect training plan, um, a lot of people can't, you know, life just does not allow for that. So you have to find something that's going to work for them and still get them results, even if the results are not most optimal results possible. You know, results are results. Even if I'd rather see someone get their results a little bit slower and be able to maintain them than hack their life down into pieces so that they can do this, you know, crazy diet and training regimen, get their goal quickly, and then what? What happens when like real life comes back? Trying to work with people and their lives. You're really sort of meddling around <laughs> in people's lives. And that's not, that's not a responsibility that you should take lightly. And, um, and I don't. Probably feels a little uncomfortable at times too, right? Like you're afraid to make the wrong decision, but you realize you have to make these decisions for them or with them, I should say. I don't think, did you say the word uncomfortable? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Uh, it can be uncomfortable to know that you're going to have to push somebody out of their comfort zone. You know, I try to make people as comfortable as they can be while they're making progress and change. But sometimes you really do have to step out of that and you really do have to push yourself to be a little bit uncomfortable, whether that's on the nutrition side or on the training side or both. It sucks to to teach those hard lessons <laughs> sometimes. And, you know, your clients may not always like you when it's happening, but ultimately... You know, if that's what gets them where they want to go, that's a really good thing. But yes, in the interim, while it's happening, and especially the more you know somebody, the more you get to know your clients, the longer you work with them, the more they become not just your clients, but also, you know, your friends. You you know a lot about these people, <laughs> and they've really been vulnerable to let you into lots of different aspects of their life. Suddenly, you don't want to push them to the point of being uncomfortable because they're your friend, and you don't want them to be uncomfortable, but you got to do it anyway. Yeah, that's that's a tough spot, I would imagine. Especially when someone's getting ready for a show. When someone's getting ready for a show, you have to push them past their comfort zone. No one walks into a bodybuilding competition 
in their comfort zone. They waved bye-bye to their comfort zone many months ago. And sometimes someone's already feeling like shit. They're feeling like shit and you know you have to push them further. And that is really tough. But like you said, I mean, it's an unhealthy process to begin with and ultimately it's their choice. And yeah, it's hard on you as a coach. I'm not doubting that. But you're a pretty damn good coach from what I've observed. And I'd say that although it may make you uncomfortable to put someone in a potentially challenging spot, however you want to call it, I think you give the client what they want without putting them in a position where they're actually going to be in danger. And that's important. Almost always. If I am going to take somebody, if we're going to cross that line, I'm not going to surprise them with it. I'm going to let them know like, hey, we're crossing that line into like what may or may not be considered healthy. And this pretty much only happens with bodybuilding. Let me make that clear. There's never a power lifter that I'm like, all right, (laughs) this is going to get real unhealthy now. (laughs) 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 This (laughs) This is just with bodybuilding and it's just as you get close to the stage basically uh i don't care what anybody says there's no way to walk on stage healthy it is a it is a rare few who have to change so little that they're able to walk on stage just just having body fat that's that low in and of itself regardless of how you got there almost always means your hormones are going to be fucked up men or women so When somebody comes to me wanting to compete, I think it's really important to be honest with them when you get to that point where you're like, all right, weird shit's going to start happening to your body from here on out. And it's not going to go away, not even after the competition, not right Well, and to talk to them about after the competition, before the competition even happens. That's a different story completely. And that's very, very important. Pretty much. I would like to say sometimes... Actually, surprisingly, a lot of the time, you'll get a client who wants you to push them really hard. (laughs) You get a client who wants you to put them on an hour of cardio every day and put them on 1,200 calories because that's that's being hardcore, and they want to be hardcore, and they want to get all the results right away, and uh, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And it's not optimal. Like They're probably not going to reach their goals that way, and if they do, they're certainly not going to maintain it. So that's a hard thing to explain to people too. Like, listen, I can tell that you have all the drive in the world, but we're not going to push it that hard. We're not going to go that hard right out of the gate. You know, especially if it's just like, I mean, I wouldn't start a bodybuilding client off that way, but especially if it's just like, you know, a non-bodybuilder who just wants to lose some fat. I find those are the ones who try to like push it really hard right out of the gate. And that's, they especially don't need that. Remember when you coached me? oh my goodness this guy let me tell you a story about Giacomo he was eating like 400 grams of protein a day and really not much of anything else he was eating some carbs and he was eating some fat but very very little and he wanted to do cardio on day one of his prep right out the gate well this was after this is once I started cutting and I had started cutting too hard i think right yeah i believe that i started coaching you part way through your prep mm-hmm. not i didn't do your whole prep i started coaching you halfway through yeah. that prep because i was just like i cannot watch this yeah. anymore without saying something <laughs> and that's how i started coaching giacomo but yeah he just wanted to go balls to the wall right from the get-go and do you know what that got him got me down to like no muscle mass and low body weight rail thin like that's not what a bodybuilder is supposed to look like mm-hmm 
you know, he was just really, he lost all his muscle. He just dieted and cardioed all his muscle off. Yeah, he was lean. He was shredded to death, but there was nothing to him. And that's, that does not a bodybuilder make. <laughs> right. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, I didn't mean to go off tangent there. I guess my point is going too hard, too fast, and to the extreme isn't necessarily a good thing. So while, yes, sometimes you do have to push people harder than you maybe want to, sometimes you got to rein people in a little bit too. Yeah, so you got some people that you have to rein, pull the reins back on a little bit because they're just too aggressive. And then you have other people who it's like you need to push them, but you don't want to get to that point where it's like you're literally poking at them with a stick saying, do this, do this. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you will hit a wall with people where I have pushed them as far as I am willing to push them and progress just isn't happening. And to me, that means we're we're done. When I this almost exclusively happens with fat loss clients. You push them and you push them and you push them and eventually you get to a point where it's like, "No, I don't really want to drop your calories anymore." And I don't really want to give you any more cardio. Like, I don't feel comfortable giving you more than this or taking away more food than this. But you're no longer making progress here. We're done. It's time to it's time to move in the other direction and start, you know, focusing on building more muscle. And then maybe once we've built an amount that we're comfortable with, we can revisit that fat loss again. Once we get your metabolism boosted back up to where it ought to be. Yeah, basically. And I mean, inevitably... I think the end goal is for to outgrow your coach at some point, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, how how do you, I mean, I guess it's not really something you say to somebody, but. Not in those words exactly, but I think I'm pretty open with the fact that I don't want people to be reliant on a meal plan forever. You know, it's a little bit controversial. Do you write meal plans for people or not? And I do, actually. I do write meal plans for people. And most people come to me for meal plans. Now, the thing about writing meal plans that is controversial is that a huge number of coaches who do write meal plans are handing every woman the same meal plan and every man the same meal plan and calling it specialized meal planning. Four pieces of asparagus, two cups of rice, tablespoon of olive oil, two protein shakes. That's the stupidest meal plan I've ever heard. But anyway, <laughs> uh, when I'm writing somebody a meal plan, it really is specialized to that person, not just the caloric and macronutrient intake, but also in that huge questionnaire I send people in the beginning, they tell me the foods they like, the foods that they're already eating and enjoying, foods that they don't like, what their schedule looks like, what time they're most comfortable eating, what time of day do they work out. And the meal plan is built around that. Now, ultimately, it still comes down to eating pretty much the same things every day until we switch it up. But it is definitely tailored to them and things that they like. And, you know, very. There's a lot of stuff, different stuff in it. So I make sure they're getting plenty of nutrients. You know, the controversy comes with eating the same thing every day beyond just handing out cookie cutter meal plans. And I do understand that. But the idea when I take somebody on is not to have them eat the same thing every day for the rest of their life. It is helping them learn how to properly fuel their body in a way that gets them both physical results and results in the gym. And over time, as we make subtle changes, they can feel what each change does to them. 
And it really helps people to learn what works for their body and what doesn't work for their body. It's kind of like how a doctor would tell you to do an elimination diet. (laughs) Not that I've ever suggested somebody do an elimination diet, but when a doctor's trying to find out if you have an allergy, they have you cut everything out that you could possibly be allergic to for several weeks. And then they have you add things back in one by one. And because you haven't had these things in so long, once you add them back in, you can tell right away, in theory, if you have an allergy or a sensitivity to this food. And it's kind of like that with the meal plans and how they change and the tweaks that are made because you've been so consistent, consistently eating similarly every day. Every little change is an opportunity for the client to learn something about their bodies. And also, the structure of a meal plan can be very, very good for somebody who has no idea how to optimally fuel themselves. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's as simple as saying eat to live and live to eat, you know? I mean, most people just eat because they enjoy it. It's pleasurable. And they feel like, well, if I just eat these clean types of foods or if I eat, I feel like I'm eating a certain amount, I'm going to be properly fueling myself without regard for portion sizes, meal timing, Every, I mean, there's just so many ways to develop a closer relationship with food in regards to how it can fuel your body. And like Danny said, a lot of that is psychological. It's understanding. And there is some inherent value to following a meal plan. It's even, it's even about the preparation. You know, it's putting you into the right mindset. I'm going to do my grocery shopping on this day. I'm going to prepare my meals consistently. I'm going to eat them consistently and I'm going to be aware of what's actually on my plate because I'm doing the same thing repeatedly. But I mean, there's obviously there's a way to evolve from this. I mean, we're all about macro counting, correct? And there's a transition again. Yes. Well, we're, you and I are, Mm -hmm. but I think sometimes a lot of fitness professionals take for granted the fact that they get it. You know, you and I get it because we've been doing this forever. Like I've been in the fitness community, you know, learning all of this stuff for the past like 12 years or so. So at this point, all of it is second nature to me and you and lots of other fitness professionals who are just like, oh, just give people macros, 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 macros. And I am obviously a huge proponent of flexible dieting. But I have come to learn that that is not just something you can just do. I mean, I wrote a book on flexible dieting. It's like 120 pages long, and it's very comprehensive. It's about as comprehensive as you can make flexible dieting. And I did that deliberately. But some people still read it and still have trouble actually applying it. And that is not anybody's fault. It's It can be really confusing. If you're not used to it, like that's a lot of numbers That's a lot of learning new foods and learning how to track them and having to learn a new app and constantly second guessing if your numbers are correct for your goals. And I get that. I've been there. I did this. (laughs) I did that 10 years ago. Um, And unfortunately, at the time, there wasn't anybody to help me sort of navigate that path. And I wish that there had been somebody to do that. Unfortunately, I got put on a meal plan at like 18 years old when I originally sought help with my fitness goals 
and it was just a train wreck. There was no, there was no end in sight to that meal plan. It was just like, you're on a meal plan or it's a fucking free for all. And there was nothing in the middle. And obviously that's not, that's not a way to live. So what I like to do is start people who have no idea, you know, they just, they just want to get into fitness. They just want to eat the right thing and reach their goals. And we start them on a meal plan. Creating a meal plan takes a lot of time and work. And I don't take it lightly because I don't want somebody to be bored and absolutely hate their food every day. Been there, done that. It sucks. Once somebody is really comfortable with their meal plan, and I can tell based on their weekly check-ins that they're starting to get a grasp on what fuels what, or somebody will say something like, well, I ran out of this, so I got this because like the nutrition on them was pretty similar. It's like, ding, ding, ding. They're getting it. They're starting to get it. And once I realize that, what I'll do is I'll usually start them on one flexible dieting meal. So they have their meal plan. And then I'll say, okay, your dinner can be whatever you want as long as it fits these numbers. And find make creating one meal that fits your macros is so much less intimidating than trying to navigate your way through a whole day of, say, three meals and, like, two snacks. That's, for a lot of people, that's a lot to manage while you're also trying to, you know, take care of your kids and go to your job and live your life. Now you have to count every single morsel. A lot of why people like meal plans is because they don't have to think about it. And I get that too, because one less thing to think about can be really, really nice. But there's also so much freedom in learning how to think about it. And like anything else, there's a big learning process to it. But once that's passed, it actually becomes easier. I think people do realize that there's an end game to meal plans. And I think there is a value in having someone coach you through your relationship with food and to get there and to evolve the process from going from a meal program to something that's a little more flexible to just basically understanding food. Yeah, so once once the client has a solid handle on that one meal a day, maybe we'll add in another meal a day. If they really seem to have a handle on it, I'll just say, you know, these are your macros now. Here's how I would suggest that you break them down to properly fuel your workouts and create the most muscle growth and strength gain. But ultimately, these are your macros. Do with them as you will, (laughs) more or less. And people still stumble. The transition from meal plan to flexible dieting is not always a super, it's not always super easy. It's not always super smooth. It can be really overwhelming. So, you know, the good thing is that when it gets really overwhelming, there's, there can be like a lot of brain fatigue <laughs> when someone's trying to learn how to do this and they'll just get frustrated and it's very easy to say, fuck it, I'm going to eat everything. Especially if they're dieting. Especially if they're dieting. But the good news is they're so familiar with the meal plan that they they have it to fall back on. If they're having a day that they feel really, really frustrated and they don't want to count, they can just recall in their mind, well, this was my lunch for a long time. This is what like a normal portioned lunch should look like for these goals And, you know, it's all about creating the independence for them. And again, what works within their life at that time. And the more tools you have, the more situations you're going to be able to handle and work through. Yeah, like the last episode where we just talked about eating out, for example, which can still be incredibly challenging for anyone. That's one of the toughest things is eating out. 
but you get there and it's worth the work. I'd say that the journey is life-changing. You know, something else that I've been noticing is that, well, I mean, there's that obvious, the second someone decides they're going to commit to a fitness program and transforming themselves, they expect an immediate transformation and nothing less. So how do you keep someone, I mean, as far as I can tell, with the way that I've been analyzing the way I want to look and the way that I actually look after I train. It's like the way that I envision myself looking in one year is usually the way that I'm going to look in five years time. And if I'm thinking that way, and I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on this, imagine the person who is just starting upon or revisiting the fitness journey that they have not gone down uh, as far as they wanted to yet. Like, how do you keep somebody engaged and big picture? That is actually very, very challenging. <laughs> it's a it's a rude awakening for a lot of people. What they think they're going to accomplish inside of, say, three months and what is actually possible inside of three months. And it's something that I try to be upfront with from the beginning. You know, if somebody, if somebody wants, if they come to me and their goal is something that I can see is, you know, not unattainable, but certainly unattainable in the time frame that they're expecting it to be. And I will just have to tell them like, this probably isn't going to happen in this amount of time. It's going to take a lot longer than that. But the good news is that when it takes a lot longer than that, you're going to be able to hang on to those results a lot more than if we, you know, put you through the ringer to make this happen. And some go- some of the goals people want are so, so outlandish that you, there is no, there is no possible way healthy, or unhealthy, like there just is no possible way to make these goals happen. And sometimes you just have to sort of explain that to people. And a lot of this is perpetuated by the media and magazines and blog articles and get a six pack in 12 weeks and build your booty up in 30 minutes a day and things like that, that make people believe that these sort of things are possible. And of course, the number of athletes who are enhanced by drugs, who are not telling anybody that they're enhanced also create this idea that you can do a certain thing in a certain time frame that most people probably aren't going to be able to do. You know, at first people are disappointed to hear that, you know, it's going to take a lot longer than they think it's going to take. But overall, as long as you keep focusing on the small progress made every week and as a coach, making sure to point out what the progress is every week, that is so important because people cannot see the progress they're making week to week. And that is not people as in my clients, that is human beings, present company included, cannot see the progress that they're making from week to week. And as a client, that can be really frustrating. And I get that, you know, when somebody, me, says, send me pictures and measurements of yourself every single week. And it seems like every single week they're sending me identical pictures in the same numbers, it can be very frustrating for them. And they, you know, why am I not making progress? And it's my job to show them the progress that they're making and remind them because motivation is such a huge component to someone's success or failure as far as fitness goals go. And becoming demotivated is like one of the worst things that can happen to you. And motivation is not something that it can just be plucked out of thin air. It is very difficult to create. And once you lose the momentum of it, it's hard to get it back. So by pointing out the small progresses they're making, let's say someone loses a quarter inch in their navel measurement that week. To the client, that seems like they've made no progress. But in actuality, 
losing a quarter of an inch in a week, that's great. (laughs) That's really good. You know what I mean? It's important to make them understand that because people have such unrealistic ideas of what is possible in a certain time frame that, you know, the magazine that says lose six inches on your butt in three weeks, (laughs) and then when they're losing a quarter of an inch on their butt in a week, they're like, well, I failed. But you're not failing. That is the progress that you need to be making. That is the progress that is sustainable. Or having that outside eye. Because, you know, even as ourselves being physique enthusiasts, that we're able to look at any body objectively and pretty much see the progress over time through check-in pictures. When it comes to ourselves, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, but I my wheels can spin when I look at my pictures and I still can't see it. Oh, yeah. And you don't have to speak for me. You've seen me do it myself. Pull up a picture, my progress picture for the day. Pull up my progress picture from three weeks ago and put them side by side and be like, what the fuck? You can't see anything. I look the same. <laughs> um, and we just, human beings, you just can't look at yourself objectively the way somebody else can look at you. Also, it's nice to have a trained eye look at you. Because if you don't know what you're looking for, you're probably not going to find it. It's sort of like when they put the side-by-side pictures and they say, find the five things that are different. And you have to go back and forth and figure out what's different between them. Like, if it didn't say, find the five things that are different, you wouldn't even notice there was anything different about them. Yeah, and I guess you have to sort of trust the process, so to speak, and know that your coach isn't just feeding you something that they're actually telling you like it is. Well, the other thing that I like to do is... I like to be really real with my clients as far as how my fitness journey has gone and how my progress has gone. And, you know, people can be embarrassed actually to send you their progress pictures because it's not like a normal thing to take pictures of yourself in your underwear and send it to a stranger. So (laughs) I understand why people are uncomfortable with that. And for the record, progress photos, possibly the least flattering photos that have ever existed of anybody. Sometimes I'll show my my clients, my off-season progress photos, or my initial progress photos from years ago, you know, they're identical. They're they're identical in style and, you know, some of the body shapes and things like that to what some of my clients are sending me now. And it's like, look, even the fitness professionals are not some kind of fucking machines. We are not, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I am not a genetic outlier. Genetically, there is nothing special about me as far as fitness goes. I have always had big arms, which some women will say is a negative and some women will say is a positive. Um, Growing up, I always looked at it as a big negative competing in figure. Now I think that it's a positive. But outside of that, genetically speaking, there's really, I don't lose fat easily. I don't build muscle easily. Giacomo has his obstacles that he has to face and everyone does. And everybody has something physically that they have to sort of overcome to get to their goals, be it physique or strength wise. And it's important that your clients know that you're not a robot. You know, you see people, fitness professionals, posting pictures of themselves at their peak condition all year long. And it's like, if you're in the know, you know they don't look like that all year long. Like, you know them. You, you just saw them. They don't look like that right now. <laughs> and for me, it's important to... Not mislead. Yeah, and to sort of share my own journey as it's happening. You know, my client's having a shitty day at the gym. They say, you know what? That workout sucked. I'm going to say, you know what? 
That shit happens to me sometimes too. Good job for getting your workout done. And I think it's really, really important. Show that even when shit gets hard, it's important to walk the walk, I think. And I'm not saying that you have to be or look a certain way to be a coach. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that it is important to at least be able to practice what you preach to your clients just for the sake of integrity so that they know that you're not just feeding them a line. This really is the way you live. You really believe in what you're saying and what you're telling them to do is also what has gotten you results in the past and, you know, other clients as well. That's always good to know as well. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine when someone has gotten results one way and then like the next day they're totally changing the way they do things and like, look, what I'm doing is getting me results. Oh, that's a topic. Mm. That's a topic. <laughs> I don't want to go off on a <laughs> Yeah, we're not, we won't go there right now. Just suffice it to say that's a thing that happens a lot where a fitness professional tells their clients to do one thing, they're doing a completely different thing, they're portraying themselves as totally shredded and jacked, when in reality, you know that right now they look like a normal person, and it's important to understand that because that is how people get unrealistic expectations, right there. When you post pictures of yourself in show condition all year long in order to get clients, that is how you give people false expectations of what they can achieve. I think it's more than that. I think that people project their insecurities on others because they want to look a certain way around and they're not. And so they only post pictures of the way that they look. And now all of a sudden other people are like, well, crap, if I don't look a great or if I don't look a certain way all year round, then what's wrong with me? Well, yeah, that is definitely a pressure that as, as fitness professionals, oh, wow, is it easy to fall into that trap? You have a responsibility to not do that. Exactly. Like, yes, I would love to look like I look on stage all year. Like I would love to have a show body all year, but I know what it feels like to have a show body and it's not healthy for me. For me, it's not healthy. For some people, it'll be okay. But for me personally, I can't do that all year. But if I were to just post pictures of myself looking like that and say, hey, sign up with me. I'm a coach with that picture on it all the time. You know, it's it's just not a very good way to inspire. If you're going to post an ad, okay, that's one thing to put your, you want to put your best out there as your ad. But I mean, I'm talking about people who their entire social media, every day they're posting a picture of themselves in their peak condition, and that is not where they are right now. Fuck you for inspiring people with lies. You know what I mean? Yep. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> I don't want to go off any more tangent. tangent about that. That's a real pet peeve. You know, going back a little further in this conversation, motivation I think it's so important and I feel like there's somewhat of a challenge being an online coach as far as motivating your client goes. I mean, that in-person coach that's in your face helping motivate you and push you to do that next rep or that next set or to follow the routine when they're not with you. You know, there's some advantages there, I want to say, for coaching someone in person. So how do you overcome that hurdle as an online coach? Well, yes and no to what you just said. Yes, an an in-person coach is going to motivate you a lot more for that session, but that's one session during the week. And what's going on the other six days of the week? What are they putting in their mouths? Uh, Most in-person personal trainers are not going to be going over that sort of thing with you in depth. So while this isn't really a motivation thing, um, I think that an online coach actually has a lot more areas to motivate 
because, you know, they're looking at every workout you did, every workout you did. They're looking at all the meals that you ate. They're asking you all these sorts of questions that encompass your whole life rather than just, how did that one hour go at the gym today? Uh, However, there is absolutely something about online training that the client needs to have. They need to have internal motivation on their own. If they don't have internal motivation, there is nothing that I can do or say that is going to make somebody want it. You know, the client has to want it. And in person, you know, if you don't show up for a session, you lose 60 bucks for the session. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had clients sign up for, uh, I don't know, let's say 12 weeks or something. And then after week six, I don't hear from them ever again. And they're willing to lose six weeks of training, like the paying for six weeks of training. There's nothing I can do. If money isn't motivating them, if losing money isn't motivating them to do it, there's nothing that I can do to make them put in the work from afar. You know, it's a lot easier. I will say it's a lot easier to avoid an online coach than it is to avoid a trainer at the gym that you go to. I guess unless you just don't go to the gym at all. But... (laughs) So that, that is really, really tough. But if you're talking about somebody who already has the internal drive, which are most of the people that come to an online coach in the first place, you know, you don't go seek somebody who's, you're not going to see in person if you don't have that in you already. But even the most driven person can lose motivation from time to time. And to me, that is a matter of talking to them, finding out what the hell is going on that has suddenly made everything drop off. Like, why do they suddenly not care about this when you know how important it was to them three weeks ago? And, you know, sometimes it's a job change or a, or a significant change in schedule or sometimes, you know, sometimes like a relative passed away or something. And you have to be able to t- change their programs to fit what is going on in their life to a degree. You can't mold every single day's program to fit, you know, someone's day minute by minute, but you can change their program to fit big changes in their life. Um, Also, if somebody has started to lose motivation, it's very easy for me to say, hey, I want you to send me a message every single night. Every night this week, send me a message and tell me how you did. Because it's, it holds them accountable more frequently than a weekly check-in. If someone doesn't have to send me a check-in for another seven days, that's seven days that they can sort of dick off before they tell me that they didn't do anything all week. But if I say, send me a message every night, most people don't want to send their coach a message every single day that says, hey, I did nothing today. Hey, I did nothing today. That doesn't fly for most people. That doesn't feel very good for them. So, you know, we set micro goals. I want you to, all I want you to do this week is focus on getting your workouts in. All I want you to focus on this week is making sure you get enough sleep. Things like that. Setting these micro goals that feel attainable when somebody has lost their motivation, can help re-motivate them. And checking in more frequently with them can also hold them to more accountability. Right. I definitely agree with you there. I guess another possible advantage of online coaching is that both the client and the coach have some time to think about what they're going to ask or say. And you can definitely get more feedback from both ends that way. And that, that can obviously be critical to the success of somebody that is that is true because you don't have a person in your face saying hey this happened what do i do 
and you have to answer right away. Occasionally, I'll I'll get a check in from somebody where, you know, it's it's a challenging check in. Maybe they hit a plateau. Maybe there was a huge change in their life, and I don't immediately say, "Well, we're going to do this." I don't like to knee jerk reaction obstacles in training. I kind of like to sit with them for a little bit. So sometimes I'll read someone's check in in the morning, and then I'll just kind of let it hang out in the back of my head for the entire day. And by the time nighttime rolls around, like I have a plan for what I want to do with them. And to me, that works a lot better than having to just come up with something right on the spot. The other thing I think that is a commonality between people are that they feel like the more changes they make, the more progress they're going to make. And how do you get someone to realize basically that the longer they give their body a chance to adapt to the nutrition or the training protocol that they're doing, instead of overloading their body, the better results they're going to get. Because after all, I mean, they are paying for ongoing coaching, so they want to get as much as they can out of it and also stay motivated, you know? I mean, I feel like that's a really challenging subject to broach with most, I would say a higher percentage of people than not. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, when people are paying you for ongoing coaching, they want their money's worth. You know, don't we all want our money's worth? So a lot of times they want changes to their meal plan or their workout program or their cardio every single week. Just because. Because they think that's what they they think that's the best way. Mm-hmm. If someone has a fat loss goal and they're making great progress week to week, I'm not going to cut their food. I want them to like hey, I want people to be making progress on the most calories possible all the way through their dieting phase. Now, if someone hits a plateau, yes, it's time to make a change. But if someone is smooth sailing through their progress, there's no need to change it up. I strongly believe that people should stick to workout programs for at least four weeks. I mean, bare minimum four weeks before you start changing it up. Personally, I like to stick with stuff for six to eight weeks to give the training protocol a chance to really settle in my body. The first week that I give someone a workout, they almost never sort of get it right the first time. They're like, oh, I had to sort of experiment with these weights and see what, you know, what worked. And it's hard for me to find out my right weights. And if I changed their program every week, they'd have like a subpar workout every single week because some people just get bored. And I get that. I understand that people get bored. So sometimes if someone, you know, they're making great progress, but... So therefore, I don't need to change their caloric intake or anything. Sometimes I'll just go in and make a food swap of equal macronutrient value so that it seems different. Something is different. It's going to keep their interest, but I didn't actually cut them any further. And with workouts, sometimes we'll, I'll throw in variations to things or change up the set rep scheme depending on the type of progress that they're making. Um, one, obviously, because I want to keep progressing them and doing sort of auto-regulation of their workout depending on how they're doing, but also to keep their interest. Coaching people is so much more than just reading a research paper and writing a program based on that. It's so much more than just science. It's a combination of the science and intuition, and you kind of have to blend them together. And it is, and also you're, you're providing a service to somebody. And it's important to make sure that they feel like they're not getting the shaft by getting these these people they're they're not just paying you for your coaching they're paying for you and to pick your brain sometimes and i know that the coaches that i've hired in the past for myself 
I've hired them for the same reason, not just so they'll coach me, but so I have a direct line (laughs) to them and I can ask them questions that I have about training or, or nutrition. And that's kind of how I pick my coaches is I want to be able to ask them things and I think that they're going to be a good coach. There's a lot more that goes into being a good coach than just writing optimal training programs. Yeah, and I mean, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, the optimal training program will also be one that motivates them to keep doing it. So, you know, say that science and their basic needs says that you're supposed to program a routine with X type of strength training and Y type of nutrition, as is. But they like to do something that may interfere with them having faster results. Prime but, example. This happens a lot. You know what I'm trying to say? People will come to me, uh, men and women actually, a lot of, it's more men than women, believe it or not, that want to build muscle, but they love to run. Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to get at. And, uh, you know, I, in theory, especially when they're sort of ectomorphs that have a hard time putting on muscle anyway, it's just like, stop running. You shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be doing cardio like that right now. It's, you're not going to make progress very well that way. And you know, it's, it's definitely, it is your responsibility to to tell them that regardless, it's your responsibility to say, Hey, I know you love running. I'm not going to take running away from you, but I do want you to know that it comes at a price that it's going to slow down your progress. And, you know, if someone really loves running, they're going to keep doing it. And that's their choice. Just because I know they love running doesn't mean I'm going to keep it in and just not tell them that it could be holding them back. And a lot of times people will be like, all right, well, you know, let's meet in the middle somewhere. Let's cut back on the running. And you can build their training and nutrition program with the knowledge that they're running. So you can add in more food, for example. Yeah. And you keep filing these things away and you whether you meet in the middle or whether they choose to do it their way or your way, it's important to remember these markers where people give you insight into how they want things to go to truly enjoy it and stick with it and then to revisit it along the line as you're coaching with them. You know, say that you, so, uh, just another example, say you know somebody that prefers to stay leaner than they probably should to make actual progress, right? And then it's like six months later and you can see that they're frustrated with the progress be like, well, do you still want to stay this lean? Because ultimately it may be a hindrance to your progress two years from now. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. If someone decides to do something that may be counterproductive to their goals, that doesn't mean they have to do it forever. Like eventually you may hit another point where you can revisit it, like you said, and maybe they'll change their mind that time when they see like, hey, oh yeah, that really did kind of hinder my goals, didn't it? (laughs) Or sometimes maybe someone's being compliant, for lack of a better word, with the way that you want them to do things and they'll eliminate their running altogether. But six months later, you find that they're just no longer engaged, encouraged, motivated, focused. You know that starting them to, to go jogging again is probably not the perfect thing for them as far as their goals are concerned. But if it's going to make them happy and they're pushing harder in the gym, then maybe they will make even more progress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not as cut and dry as, as it seems. Yeah. So it's more than just, it's more than just scientific knowledge. And the scientific knowledge is so important because that's the foundation. That's the foundation on which you build your programs. But the humanity of the whole thing really, really can alter those programs quite a bit and it's very very important 
to be able to do that in order to maintain a good coaching relationship, get results, not fuck people up, and, you know, ultimately help people live a better life. Yeah, there's really no simple answer on how to coach anyone, and it's a constant, evolving, and ongoing process with each individual, something that we could probably talk your head off about for the next four episodes worth in this one episode. But for the sake of time, I think we should just leave it at that for now. Yeah, if this is something you guys want to hear more about or there's something that you want to know more about specifically, just let us know. Moving on to our product review segment for today, we were we had a different idea in mind, but we started getting into the topic of meditating a little bit at the start of this episode and had mentioned the Headspace app, which I'm a little newer to, so I can't speak too much on it. But I know, Danny, you've been using it for a while now, and you've had nothing but great things to say to me about it. Why don't you explain to our listeners a little more about what Headspace has done for you? So what Headspace is, is it's an app. It's available for free download on iPhones, and I'm assuming it's available on Androids as well, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And it's free to download. And when you start it, there are 10 meditations that are each 10 minutes long, and they're free. And you, they basically teach you the very basics of meditating. Because when I got into meditating, I basically thought that the point was to think of nothing. And that's what I was trying to do. You know, I was trying to think of nothing. That doesn't work. You can't think of nothing. You can't consciously try not to think. That is just not how our brains are wired. Try me. And the first 10 sessions on Headspace really taught you how to get into a meditative session and come out of a meditative session. And it's not like you know, you do it one time and suddenly you have a fucking out-of-body experience or something like that. But it teaches you the basics in these 10 free sessions. And then after that, you can sign up. So you can sign up and it's $13 a month or $96 for the year. And if you... I suggest trying it out for a month just to see if you like it. Because once you get past those first 10 sessions, there's two more... um, packs basically all of the meditations are broken down into packs is what they call them so they have different subject material that you're focusing on and what this app does is it really does teach you how to meditate and it's not just guided meditations like you can go on youtube and look up guided meditations it's nothing like that at all because i had done that a million times before with no success whatsoever so there's three levels called the foundation pack and the first one is the 10 10-minute sessions, the second one is 10 15-minute sessions, and the third one is 10 20-minute sessions. And throughout those three packs, you really learn how to meditate. And, you know, he does a really good job. The guy's name is Andy. I should know his last name, but I don't. Um, He's a British guy, and I love his voice. Some people say that his voice is annoying. I don't think it is at all. I think it's awesome. He does a great job not being... Uh, you know, super out there or hippie or woo-woo. It's very practical, which I like. Um, So once you finish the foundation pack, there are all of these different packs that you can work on. You know, I'm looking through it right now. There's health, which breaks down to all these. There's a pack for anxiety, which actually I found the anxiety pack to be the most helpful one that I've done so far. 
It was a 30-day pack, and it was just awesome. I can't say good enough things about it. Sleep, stress, self-esteem. There's ones on relationships, so appreciation, acceptance, generosity, performance, which is a good one also. There's four packs. Creativity, focus, happiness, and balance. I know some of these, and now that I'm saying them out loud, some of them sound really hokey, but they're not. They're really not hokey when you're doing it. There's also singles. So there's some that are kind of fun. They're like on-the-go meditations. So you can kind of learn how to do these different things and meditate at the same time because meditation isn't just something that you have to like sit on a couch with your hands on your lap and do. It is, you know, anything can become a meditative process. For a lot of us, you know, going to the gym is a meditative process. I can't tell you the number of times a runner has told me that running is like their meditation. And, you know, there's lots of different things that can be meditative. For me, walking is super meditative. And there are these meditations that you can do while you are running, cooking, commuting, eating, walking, cycling, sleeping, or rather to go to sleep. There are also these little tiny meditations called SOS, and they're like three-minute meditations that you can do when you're feeling really like anxious or angry or sad or some shitty feeling that you just kind of need to get through, and those are really cool too. And once, once you've really got the hang of it, there are meditations that are just completely unguided also. It's amazing how I never thought I'd be able to get through an unguided meditation without like going crazy or falling asleep or something. But when you have the tools that you, to know how to do it, it's, it's possible to sit through it. And actually, I've found that the longer ones are like, the longer it is, the more beneficial it is. Huh, who knew? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if, if you feel like you have a lot of like brain chatter going on, which I do constantly, just like, like useless shit in my head all the time that I just, you know, I don't want to like force it to go away, but I'd like to at least notice that it's going on so that I don't just buy into it constantly. Um, And that's sort of what this helps you to do. It helps you sort of divide the thoughts in your brain from, you know, what's important to what's just white noise. It's just called headspace, one word, can't speak highly enough about it. Check it out. And now it's time to take some questions from our listeners. This one comes from Facebook and it's the topic is sleep versus training. I'm wondering what people's thoughts are on this topic and wanted Danny to be able to share some insights in this case. My general thought is always do what you need to do regardless. However, last night my legs were dead and I knew I had to get up early for a meeting in the morning. So I decided to move my cardio to the rest day of my training schedule instead. I imagine there are times when getting enough sleep is actually better than sticking it out. So long as you get your training in some form or another. Other thoughts on this? Interested to hear what other people do or what your philosophies are. So this was a question on Facebook, and I did actually answer it on Facebook, but I thought it was a good enough question that we should answer it on the podcast also. So I will sort of reiterate what I said on Facebook. First of all, I should be really upfront. I sacrifice sleep for no man. Like, (laughs) I need my sleep. That's not a joke at all. I need eight hours of sleep every single night, and honestly, I function best with a nap in the middle of the day for about 30 minutes. 
I know, I sound like a toddler. And sometimes if I don't have that nap, I kind of act like a toddler. So there's that. Um, (laughs) On the priority list, I think that sleeping comes only after water, but before food. I think sleeping is more important than food. And I think both of them are more important than training, personally. So I think that speaks volumes. Um, Sleep, so many good things happen during sleep. Just from a a mental standpoint, all of our short-term memories are organized while we sleep, which is part of the reason why when you don't have enough sleep, you're just like a moron the next day. Like your thoughts have not been organized and categorized properly. Um, But more specifically to fitness, when we're sleeping, our hormones are restored. Muscle protein synthesis is at an all-time high when we're sleeping. Uh, human growth hormone also at the highest point while we're asleep. So it's very important to get sleep for those reasons. But also um, sleep deficits can reduce glucose metabolism by 30 to 40%. So you are not digesting your carbohydrates properly when you're in a sleep deficit. And that can play a huge role in performance. Also, there was a study not too, too long ago where they put people in a sleep deficit for four days in a row. And then they tested their one rep max on bench, and on average, it had dropped 20 pounds for each person, which, that's a big drop. That's a really big drop for most people. And the other thing you were talking about on our walk yesterday with the perceived rate of physical exertion for the person who is sleeping well versus the person who is not was pretty intriguing to me. Sleep deficits can increase perceived exertion by up to 20%. And basically what that means is everything feels harder than it actually is. And the reason Jacqueline and I were talking about this is we were remembering this time when we were on prep and we were going for a walk with my brother who is not an athlete. (laughs) And uh, he was walking pretty quickly, you know, but it was still just walking. And Giacomo and I could not keep up. We couldn't keep up. We were panting. We were like hunched over just trying to keep up with him walking. He's not like an especially tall guy or anything like that. There was no reason for us not to be able to keep up walking other than we were just so depleted. And that, I mean, we were food depleted and sleep depleted at the time. So that's an example of how everything can feel harder than it actually is. And of course, sleep deficits increase cortisol, which wreaks havoc in every way. In every way. (laughs) It wreaks havoc in your day-to-day life. It wreaks havoc in your fitness life. It is just awful. Um, Yes, it serves a purpose, but as far as fitness goes, it blows. Um, And lastly, your immunity, your immune system, like, tanks when you're sleep-deprived. And for people who are working towards a fat loss goal... Um, or in any sort of a caloric deficit at all, just by being in a caloric deficit, your immunity is dropped. It's lowered very quickly. And taking that and then being in a sleep deficit on top of that, your immunity just gets so much lower. And getting sick when you're working really hard towards a specific end goal can really throw a wrench in the works. So, and who likes to be sick? Like, there's just so many reasons that... People need to focus on sleep as a priority. And this could be an entire episode in and of itself. Sleep is so, so, so important and so overlooked because everyone's trying to be so hardcore that they'll do anything that they need to do, even if it means they're sacrificing their sleep. 
So on average, I say that people should, athletes, athletes especially, should be getting at least eight hours of sleep a night, at least. Uh, Actually, (laughs) I was poking around on the internet not too long ago, and I, I heard that LeBron James sleeps 14 hours a day. That's crazy. I don't even know what to say on that. 14 hours a day. Like, my cat sleeps 14 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) So. (laughs) But it's just, and if you look at the amount of sleep that high-performing athletes are getting, you know, it is much higher than the average person who's not an athlete. So, you know, I know that it can be hard to fit in extra sleep but you got to do it. And if you can't fit in extra sleep, you damned well better make sure that the quality of the sleep you're getting, do anything you can to improve the quality of your sleep. Blackout curtains. Blackout curtains. Get your phone out of the room. White noise is great. Um, wind down for like a half an hour. Before. Wind down before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Keep your socks on, but mm-hmm. keep it kind of chilly. Steal the blankets from your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh Anyway, so that's our little spiel on sleep. Get it. Okay, so the next question that I got actually came from a client of mine who I'll leave anonymous, but her question was very, very simple. And I think that it's a good question across the board that anybody could ask. And the question was, do I have the right body type to be a power lifter? Yeah. And, uh, gee, I guess you could ask this question about just about any sport or activity but to someone who asks me that question i would ask them a question in return do you want to be a power lifter you know you should do what you want to do i mean everyone's going to have inherent advantages and disadvantages to just about any activity they want to do but that shouldn't dictate whether or not you do it i mean yes could you have some mechanical advantages with your basic bone structure to help you be a better powerlifter? Absolutely. I mean, there are going to be genetic outliers in every sport, but that shouldn't—that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to to play with the best. I mean, you'll get to a certain level where some people will just have a natural advantage, but I mean, you should work with what you have and build yourself up to be the best that you can. And there's just no reason not to to do so. Well, also, I think it's important to note that there is no body type for a power lifter. There is no body type for a power lifter. So anybody can be a power lifter. Um, in, in general, short people tend to do better in power lifting just because of the way they can build muscle and the fact that they have less distance to travel. So I'll say that. And strength to weight ratio. Shorter people do have an advantage, but there can be different advantages and disadvantages to various lever lengths, your femur length, your torso length, your arm length, and they can either help you or hurt you in different lifts. So let's say you have really long arms, which Giacomo pointed out earlier, long arms help you in the deadlift Mm -hmm. because you have less to travel. But long arms will hurt you in the bench press because you have more to travel. So I don't really think that there's any one specific body type that could, you know, help you or hurt you in in powerlifting. You know, body type, as in 
ratios of size or anything like that. I mean, if you tuned into the Arnold at all, which I'm a lot of, I know probably most people didn't, but I'm sure you can watch the powerlifting meet online somewhere. And right now, and men and women go watch that shit. Those powerlifters that are like the top level lifters in the world, all different body types. It's one of my favorite things about powerlifting is that it is not prohibitive to certain body types. I mean, there were little skinny guys who you would not believe the type of weight that they were lifting. Mm-hmm. There were really, really overweight guys. in <laughs> uh, short, tall, thin, fat, muscular, you know, not muscular looking, just every type of body type, men and women were just out there killing it. And I think that that's one of the things that makes powerlifting one of the coolest and most approachable sports in the strength field. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. So the short answer, fuck yes, you have the body type <laughs> to be a powerlifter. <laughs> And that concludes another episode of Peaking Protein's Muscles by Russell Radio. Please stay in touch with us. You can catch us at Peaking Protein on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever on social media. And when you get a chance, or if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in, as it does help us make more